2: Welcome to the program. It's hour two. We'll check in with Brian Windhorst. Covers the NBA for the mothership. Any big names going to sit out the rest of the NBA season? So we'll talk to Brian in a little bit. Darius Rucker. He'll join us in the final hour of the show. NASCAR drivers showing support for Bubba Wallace at Talladega yesterday. Bubba didn't win, but he won. Baseball has to deal right now with uh, the aftershocks of a 60-game season. It's supposed to start... July 24th, I was told it could be a week later. Here is another thing, and it's another thing to keep an eye on. And I I mention this, I keep mentioning it, because I do think it is more of a reality than just a maybe or what if. And that is the NFL season being pushed back. That might just be one week. And Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback, had this uh, yesterday. You know, there is growing concern from a couple of owners right now of starting the season a week later. I keep hearing my sources said, hey, you know what? You're right. They're looking at removing the first four games and putting them at the back end of the regular season schedule. But that's just something that's going on right now with the NFL. We always feel like, well, the NFL just plows through everything. The NFL, they don't let anything stand in its way. Well, this is standing in its way. And I think that there is... And I, I, I'm careful to use the word apprehension. There is concern here, but you know, apprehension of can we just push this forward and we start the this season on time? I don't know how they're going to have preseason games. I don't know how it's possible they're going to have a preseason game in the first week in August. But you know, that feels like it's full speed ahead for the NFL. Uh, you know, college football. I think you're going to hear more and more stories about. These presidents, these chancellors, athletic directors, uh, having a little bit more of a cautionary tone here of trying to get this season, cram it in. Uh, You know, the NBA with what's happening, it feels like they've got a really good head start here with the bubble, but there are players that aren't going to go, and we'll talk to Brian Windhorst about that. We'll uh, take your phone calls, 877-3DP-SHOW, email address, dp at danpatrick.com, Twitter handle at show. Say good morning to our radio and TV partners. The general rule of work stoppages in sports is they seem like a big deal when they're happening. But that significance fades over the years. No one really remembers which Super Bowls, World Series, or NBA championships happened in strike-shortened seasons. We don't. Maybe we won't remember how ridiculous these negotiations were with Major League Baseball, if you want to call them negotiations. Yesterday, the union shot down the owner's latest proposal. And that opened the way for the commissioner to say we're having a 60-game schedule based on a March agreement. Keep this in mind. The commissioner could have said we're having a 70-game schedule. He could have said 80 games. He said 60. And he said 60 because he knows what the bottom line is going to be, provided that there is no second wave of this coronavirus coming up in October. This is going to cost the owner. They've done the math. That's why I kept saying this is all scripted. He goes 60 games and says to his owners, this is how much you're going to lose. And then you get to the postseason, this is how much you can make. And this is what you're going to pay the players. If you're losing somewhere close to a half million dollars per regular season game, this is what the owners are estimating, whether it's true or not. They're looking at the math. That's all they did. They didn't look at this and go, you know what? For the betterment of the country and the betterment of the game, and that's all BS. This is about the bottom line. How much am I going to lose? And how much am I going to make in the postseason? That's all this came down to. We talk about all this rhetoric and back and forth, and we want this, and we want it prorated, and it's all nonsense. It was all nonsense. We're going to stall. That was the word that was used, my source said. They're stalling on purpose. And what they did is the commissioner, he took the slings and arrows to save millions and millions of dollars for his owners. That's it. That's it. They probably give him a new contract. We might look at him and say, what is the commissioner doing to the sport? The owners might say, hey, you did a great job, man. Fred. Fred. Um, uh, it's a, it's a clunky process for baseball. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it feels like a missed opportunity. Another missed opportunity for baseball. I had a chance to start up earlier. You could have owned. Imagine if baseball was playing right now. Imagine if baseball was starting next week, two weeks, July 4th weekend. Hopefully this abbreviated season will work out. It'll be entertaining. A lot of teams will be in the playoff mix. Um, uh, I don't know if that makes it easier to forget how frustrating the last month has been for uh, loyal baseball fans. But I certainly feel you. I do. Because I think we all got played in this situation. All right. uh, Prior to the end of last hour, Paulie had a hot, 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 hot poll question there. All right. So if you could change ownership of any team for the betterment of their fan base...
3: Yeah, that this this franchise has struggled on the field, on the court, or public perception, or getting free agents, or all of the above. Well, what fan base in American sports needs new
2: ownership the most? Okay, so Knicks, Redskins. You're saying Cowboys? When, when, when
3: was? It's been a while since they've gone deep into playoffs. Yeah, and their ownership though, he runs the NFL. Is he running a good team? He's a good businessman. Is a good football owner. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a really nice TV in the building.
2: But do they? That's a jumble truck. Mm-hmm. Yes, Todd.
4: Don't you wonder, like with all those eight and eight seasons, that uh, maybe if there was a different owner, or if it wasn't the owner trying to be the owner and the GM, that maybe a couple of those eight and eights could have been ten and sixes and, you know, they should have been going a lot further in a couple of those years in recent
2: recently. Yeah, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to argue that. They're I think never awful. Jerry, the owner, and Jerry, the GM are two different people. So Cowboys, Knicks, Redskins, who else is on that list? The Knicks have nine
3: postseason victories since 2000. That's by far the worst in the league. Not
2: appearances, victories. Yeah, that means games that they won. Yeah, but not nine playoff appearances, nine games in the playoffs. And
3: at one year they
5: had most of them
2: with (laughs) Carmelo Anthony. Yes, McLovin.
5: If you're looking at futility like the Browns haven't won a playoff oh, yeah, game, yeah, the Lions the... haven't won a playoff game.
2: Oh. Bills, Jeff in Detroit's going to call in on that. Um Bills are kind of newer. You know, they don't Teams that it's, NFL
3: over. teams have not had a postseason win since 2000 are the Bills, Bengals, Browns and Lions.
2: Yeah, but I don't look at the Bills as ineptitude. They made they made four Super Bowls. And and I know that might seem like it's ancient history here, but that's a great fan base. The
5: new family owns that. The, yeah. Yeah. They, and they've done okay. You know, they've made the playoffs. All right. So that's the Browns the new- to me. I like see something about the Browns. Though It's one thing, like what Pauly say, it's one thing not to win, but it's another to sort of do things the wrong way. Like the the Knicks and
2: the Browns. Yeah. The Knicks. It's how many of these franchises do you look at the top and say, that's where the problem starts. You know, the Ford family. I, I don't. I don't know if we ever look at the Ford family and go, boy, they're dysfunctional. Um, The Cowboys, just Jerry wants to be too involved. The Knicks, that starts at the top. The Redskins with Daniel Snyder starts at the top. The Browns, Jimmy Haslam, feels like it starts at the top. All right, that's a poll question. How's that? We'll go with that. Uh, A couple of phone calls in here. Nick in Iowa. Hey, Nick, what do you have for me today?
4: Hey DP, thanks
6: uh, for taking my call. First sure. time, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, six seven three bills. All righty. <laughs> hey, uh, real quick, I was just curious.
4: I, I just saw a report on Yahoo that forty MLB, MLB players and staff tested positive for coronavirus last week. With with all of that going on and this back and forth, do you think they even get? I don't even think they get a season off this year. If they don't, with with potential, um, what you're talking about, labor labor situation next year is a kind of curtains for the MLB
2: no it's not curtains but you know it it's really it's damaging uh, and thanks for the phone call Nick yeah I once again I just feel like I'm you know speaking into the wind here when I, I bring these things up about all these safety precautions that I don't know if baseball is able to pull this off I really don't because nobody's talked about this. We make it seem like, hey, if they get the finances worked out, everything else is going to take care of itself. And I'm like, I don't think so. Uh, Some information that I learned, it looks like baseball teams will have 30 active players on the roster just in case players test positive. And then they'll they'll reduce that number like uh, 28, 26, and probably settle on 26. But with no minor league season, the teams will have about 60 players available, total of 60 players available when uh, players test positive. They're going to need at least three days of testing. You've got to get players from Latin America here. Three days of testing, then they're going to work out for three weeks. They're going to have training camp for three weeks, and then they're going to try to play here at the end of July. The players are going to play the 60 games, and they get paid whatever they get paid. They don't get paid anything over meal money during the playoffs and the World Series. <laughs> oh, boy, they're going to be happy campers. You know, we like to have the player mic'd up during the playoffs and Joe Buck gets to talk to him. And, man, this is good. What do the managers do? Do the managers side with the players on this and say, I'm not going to cooperate? Because you're not going to get a lot of cooperation here from these players. You're not. Uh, Kurt in Oregon. Hi, Kurt. What do you have for me today?
7: Hey, Dan. Um, I wanted to offer up a documentary uh, for fans out there. Uh, the NASCAR race was incredible yesterday. Um, there's a there's a Netflix doc called Uppity about Willie T. Ribs. Yeah. And, um, uh, it's produced by the Dan Patrick show host, Adam Carolla, oh. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's an incredible story about, um, this guy and it didn't matter what vehicle he was in. He just wanted to race and he was the fastest at every single thing he touched. And, uh, people didn't want him to give him sponsorships. People messed with his motors and, uh, yeah, but you know, through it all, he, he just went kind of, uh, uh sport to sport, different, different, uh, tracks and, and he he did it, and he was really good. And uh, but you know, never really got the love that he deserved. Well, so, thank you, yeah, Kurt. Job, he, it's really good.
2: Thank you, thank you. And Adam Carolla loves loves him some cars, and he can tell a story. Was Willie T. Ribs the first African American to win a NASCAR race? That I'm not sure, but he he raced
3: all over in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. He's 65 years old. He he was an IndyCar, Champ Car, all over. He again, like he said, he went to different, bounce around from different series, but he was pretty well known.
2: Mike in Michigan joins us. Hi, Mike. What do you have for me today?
7: Hey, this is uh, Mike five six one sixty, and I would like to make the argument for the Fords. I know you mentioned <laughs> it's hard to dislike the Fords because they're they are nice people. Uh, however, they're also pretty indifferent people. They like because we have a loyal fan base. They're content with
2: fans in the stands, and, and that's it. I mean, look at Matt Mellon. We had him for eight years,
7: no, his no. best record as a GM, 7-9. and nine. So the Lions, love my Lions, but, man, it is hard because they, I just feel like our owners do not care.
2: So thanks. Steve All right. James well, thank you, me. Mike. Yeah, I, I don't know if if you know that you're making a profit, how much profit you're making, what is – you know, and it's do you have ego? Are you are you competitive? Or you just say, Look, we can kind of just put a team out there and we know we're gonna make money in the NFL. And it sometimes feels that way. But then you get other owners who get too involved, and that's usually to the detriment. Like your genius is not making football moves. Your genius was another business that allowed you to buy a football team. And that is what is lost on these owners, some of these owners who get so involved. I always look at, you know, there, there's owners who just stay out of the business decisions. Now, they may have the final word, but when the owner goes, and this happened with the Cleveland Browns, when he is saying, I want to take Johnny Manziel, and they could have taken uh, Derek Carr. Now you can say, well, Derek Carr is not great. Derek Carr is a huge upgrade over Johnny Manziel. And somebody who worked in the organization said at the time they were taking... I was I was told, we're taking Derek Carr. If, he's, if Derek Carr is there, we're taking him. They passed on him twice. And Cleveland would have been better off with Derek Carr than... They'd be better off with Derek Carr than Baker Mayfield, probably, right now. But... That ownership, I mean, they may luck into something here, and it would be lucking into something, but, you know, it starts at the top. It's hard to look, you know, when you look at a team and you go, that, that owner, you start with the owner, it's hard to go, you know, we're really successful and we have a terrible owner. Like, how many teams do you look at and you go, they're great, but their owner's not good. It's, it starts there. Look at the success. Look at the Roonies, Uh, even back when, you know, the Cowboys were were good, uh, you know, under a different regime. You know, Jerry, I think when Jerry first started, he let Jimmy do it. And then I think Jerry wanted more credit and therefore he got rid of Jimmy Johnson. And they haven't been the same because Jimmy is a football guy. He came up with the whole, you know, draft strategy of trading draft picks. He came up with that table. Adding value to each draft pick. Uh, you know, the 49ers with Eddie DeBartolo. You know, the Steelers with the Rooney family. If if you look, we don't even know who the owner of the Spurs is, right? That, that, R.C. Buford will come up. He's the GM. Ownership lets people do their job. And I've I've been very fortunate because... You know, when I had bosses before I went out on my own recently, those bosses knew they can't tell me how to do radio or TV. They can't tell me what to ask in a question. They can't tell me. They run the business side of this. I run this side of it. I'm the talent involved in this, for the lack of a better description. And I always appreciated that. Let me do my job. You do your job. And then I'll meet you later and we can celebrate. But... You know, ownership, that's tricky. Because they all think, you can't tell a billionaire no, or you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, Paul. I think we found something that the
3: Knicks are going to win. I think they're going to run with this poll question.
2: <laughs> I'll bet they, they got to be at 60%. Yes, McLovin.
5: You know, but the guys who move the teams, that's a different level of hate. Like the hate for Art model, the Ursays, Stan Kroenke. I've heard seen things like people hate them when they, the old town.
2: Well, I I understand that. And if I'm a Rams fan, a St. Louis fan, I would despise Stan Kroenke. You know, when you you build something for somebody and then they go, you know what, I need something better. Now, business-wise, he made an incredible business decision to be able to relocate in Los Angeles and to have that multi-billion dollar stadium. It's just, there's collateral damage. And the fans are always collateral damage. You're finding that out in baseball right now. Fans are collateral damage. We're going to take a break. Uh, Brian Windhorst, kind enough to join us. We'll talk to him, uh, or as Paulie likes to say, Brain Windhorst. Is that what I put? Well, that's how you spelled it. You put Brain Windhorst. <laughs> Autocorrect. Yeah. Or I'm complimenting him. He seems like a very yeah. bright fellow. Brain. He might like that. Brain Windhorst. He'll join us coming up next, 19 after the hour, here on The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern, or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for The Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. It is getting that time of the year. It's Miller time. You don't need a watch or a clock to tell you. It's Miller time. the first African-American driver in uh, NASCAR history to win a race. That was a uh, Grand National Series, NASCAR's uh, highest level. We didn't know if it was uh, Willie T. Ribs, but uh, Wendell Scott. And we'll have Bubba Wallace, I believe, on the program tomorrow. I think his schedule was uh, pretty full today, but uh, fritzy has been in contact with his people, and Bubba's set to join us tomorrow. Darius Rucker will join us coming up next hour. Brian Windhorse, ESPN senior NBA writer, kind enough to join us. He'll be... Uh, part of the jump and uh, ESPN news information platforms covering the NBA and the return here closely. And Brian joins us. Are you going to the bubble, Brian? I don't think so. But the reason I have to
4: say don't think is because they haven't announced the media rules yet. Not that that's a big priority, but um, we don't know. We don't know what the the law of the land is going to be. We have to hear about it.
2: What are your, what's your, do you have a uh, like a singular biggest concern here going into this uh, and what they're trying to pull off?
4: Yeah, I, I have two. Uh, one is that, and, it, and, and, I'm, and my guess is it would be a star player, but it could be anybody, is that somebody comes down with the virus and the players just lose confidence in the entire thing. And whether there's an outbreak or not, they say, I don't want to do this anymore, and they defect. Um, the other concern I have is of a genuine outbreak where, you know, there's a lag time it is, as much as the NBA is doing here and they are doing everything, just about everything that we know to do, um, is that they're, they're, they miss it. Somebody gets sick and infects five or six other people. And it's an outbreak to the point where not only do you have to shut it down, but it becomes unclear whether you're going to be able to restart it again, anytime in the near future. That I think would be a worst case scenario.
2: How many name players have you heard from off the record that might not go?
4: Um, I guess it depends on your definition of the word name players. Um, from my read on folks, everyone is ready to go. Okay. Um, whether they're going to be ready to go in, uh, in a month when this actually starts is a different question. You know, yesterday the Toronto Raptors left to go to Florida to begin this because of you know, issues with Canada and U.S. border crossings. They had to leave early. And if they make it back to the finals, that's a long shot, but if they make it back to the finals, Dan, they wouldn't be back home until October. (laughs) October. That means they left yesterday (laughs) with the possibility they would not be back until the fall.
2: Explain what the deadline means tomorrow.
4: So the players have until tomorrow to raise their hands and say, I'm not going. Uh, but that I'm going to tell you. I'm going to be. I'm going to be honest. the The NBA is changing the rules all the time. It's not like we have a 15-year history of this playbook working. Um, if somebody says they decide they don't want to play in three weeks, do I think the NBA is going to like put them in shackles and force them into into an airplane? No, I do not. Um, but the reason that they have to tell the teams now is that for the next week, starting at noon today, a transaction window opens that you can sign replacement players. And if you want to be able to replace a player who's either injured or who um, uh, you know, doesn't want to go or has some sort of other concern, you, you have to do it within the next seven days. So that's why this window opens by today's deadline.
2: Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm curious about the roster size here too, Brian. We're seeing with Major League Baseball that they're going to have to expand the rosters, you know, just in case or when it happens that somebody tests positive. How much of a talent pool will these NBA teams have to draw from?
4: Not much. Uh, you know, most NBA teams have two minor league players. It's kind of like having options on a baseball contract, you can call the guys up a certain amount of time. So they kind of have those two guys. There's a there's a few guys kicking around out there who are free agents who may be decent additions, uh, but, you know, you lose a starting line player, you're not going to replace them with a starting line player. You're going to replace them with a warm body. And I think one of the concerns here is, remember, they're going to play three weeks of these regular season games before the playoffs start, if you're in ninth or 10th place and you lose the first two or three games and you're out of it and you're still faced with being in that bubble for another two weeks, are you just going to say, forget this, I'm going home? And Because the NBA is not stopping anybody from leaving. Now, if you leave and want to come back, now we have a problem. But if you leave, they're not going to say stop. And so that's a bit of a concern. What happens to that group of players in the offing because you are going to be committed to being there for five or six weeks. There's two and a half or three weeks of training camp. Then these eight games, you know, over the course of two and a half, three weeks, you may be tired of being there if you're in ninth place and have no (laughs) chance of advancing.
2: You're not doing a good job of dressing this up, Brian. Sorry. (laughs) You got a sneaky team?
4: So the team that has underperformed all year long has been the Philly 76ers. And nobody can figure out why they would be twenty nine and two at home. Because I'm going to tell you something: <laughs> to be twenty nine and two at home, you got to be a damn good team. And you look at their roster, and you know that their talent doesn't exactly fit together. But there's some really good players there. And they're, they were like below. Five, they were like thirteen and fifteen on the road, and twenty nine and two at home. Okay, well, guess what? They don't have to play. They don't get to play home games anymore. That's a disadvantage. But that is a good team. And if they could align together and hit their, you know, hit some sort of stride, they could really be dangerous. The other thing I want to see is what the hell happened to Nikola Jokic? He (laughs)
0: lost
4: somewhere, my guess is 40 to 50 pounds. When I saw him last year, I was over in China for the uh, World Cup. He was playing on the Serbian team. He was not interested at all in, that, in, in being in condition. I would say from last summer, I would guess he's down 60 to 70 pounds. I have no idea what he's going to look like. That's a huge question mark to me.
2: Yeah, but Marcus Saul looks like he's on the same diet.
4: Marcus Saul has been losing weight steadily over the last five years, and Marcus Saul is not the number one player on a team that's uh, you know, on that team. Nikola Jokic is a first-team All-NBA player who just lost 40 pounds in three months. Will that make him an MVP candidate, or will that make him something else? I, I mean, I think it's one of the most fascinating things I want to see. I want, I'm going to be watching the, the Nuggets scrimmage games that they're going to have in a couple of weeks.
2: <laughs> Maybe you, you write up a story on the Jokic diet. We find out what that workout regimen is, because I could probably I, institute that here on my show.
4: I've got to hear he hasn't given an interview yet. Not only that, though, I'm going to tell you he was just photographed last week hanging out with uh, the Joker, uh, Novak Djokovic, oh, boy. over in Serbia. Well, Djokovic has got coronavirus now. Today, Dan, <laughs> today all the players are are being tested. Okay, now, now Jokic would have just come back in the country, and you know would have would have, before he. It could be 100-some-odd guys, are being tested by today. Now, last week we saw the NFL. They said they tested 200 people. I'll take them at their word. And 11 tested positive. I did not go to Harvard, but I think that's 5%. <laughs> if you have 300 NBA players testing, and let's just say it's roughly the same rate, around 5%, you're going to have, you know, 15 to 20% that number who are test positive. And here's something that the NBA – has not articulated very well. If I was a skeptical guy, I would say it's on purpose, but I can't say that. If you test positive <laughs> under their rules, 14 days, no exercise, not 14 days isolation, 14 days in your bed. And then you've got to test negative twice in 24 hours. And so the with a, with a question I'm gonna have is, if a bunch of guys here today test positive or asymptomatic and are asymptomatic in a week, that's going to become an issue. They're going to be like, hey, let me get back on the court. And they're like, no, 14 days, sir. And so that's going to be interesting. And, and, you know, while while teams haven't announced the players who have tested positive in the past for HIPAA reasons, it's going to become pretty apparent. If you don't see your team's backup shooting guard for 10 days, you're going to know that he's come down with it. So I don't know how that's all going to work when you understand that some of these guys are going to say, "I, I don't feel sick. It's going to be an issue.
2: He's Brian Winhorst, ESPN senior NBA writer. The Lakers reportedly working out at uh, a billionaire's home. What do we know about this story here, Brian?
4: I've been there. <laughs> oh. um, this guy, Steve Jackson, He, I think he sold the company a long time ago, he, but he founded LA Gear. You remember LA yeah. Gear?
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, Shaq had the LA Gear deal. He built a uh, a gym on his property in Bel Air. Uh, and he re- made a replica of the Staples Center. The court is the exact same court, except instead of saying Staples Center in the same stenciling, it says Jackson Center. He's got photos all over the walls of teams that have come there and players that have come there throughout the years and, and worked out. It's in a gated community. I, when I went there, I had to go through the gate and he comes out and hangs out with the players as they do. There's been commercial film there over the years. Teams have used that to shoot around. Uh, it, it's basically been a, a sort of a secret underground NBA hub. And, you know, uh, I'm sure it's been available to many players. And that's the thing. Um, one of the reasons why these NBA players were not coming to work out of team facilities is because they had to follow all of these rules. That the NBA put down, whereas if they go to another place, a run that they can get a private gym, they can do whatever they feel is necessary to keep themselves safe. And so that's why I think today's testing, what you know, it'll take a few days for it to come back. Who knows when they'll actually announce it, if they ever will. That's why I think today's test is going to be very interesting. We're going to have guys who don't think they're sick or feel fine and end up coming up positive.
2: Uh, one other item has to do with Knicks, uh, so it's not a playoff team, but it does have to do with the Bucks. Jason Kidd uh, given permission by the Lakers to interview for the Knicks job and then you know, the possibility of bringing in the Greek freak. Um, what do you make of this with uh, Jay Kidd and the Knicks?
4: Well, look, I, <laughs> the Knicks have a long way to go before they can even think about getting any free agent. And, uh, you know, Giannis has the opportunity this summer to extend for, you know, we'll see how it happens with the salary cap, but for more than $200 million. Um, But I will say that I think Jason Kidd and Jim Dolan have a really good relationship. Um, and Jason has been interested in going back there. Remember, he played there one year at the end of his career and was a transformational figure. So I still think it's Tom Thibodeau's job, um, but uh I, I think the Knicks... Could do a lot to help themselves with free agents that is outside of some coach they have a connection to. They have done a horrible job for the last ten years on this. Their decisions, specifically Jim Dolan's decisions in the last month to six weeks, have been very damaging. If anybody thinks that they're going to fix that by just hiring a coach who happens to know a star player, that's a little naive.
2: Can the commit does the commissioner have any power over that franchise, Brian?
4: He's tried. He's tried. He's gone to people in the franchise. I mean, I don't think he maybe would ever admit to this, but because it's, you know, not it's not sort of deemed fair. But he has gone to people in the franchise and said, what can the NBA do to help the Knicks? And the thing about Jim Dolan, you know, the more people I talk to who've worked for Jim Dolan, a lot of them really like him. But Jim Dolan has a blind spot in that he's got horrible judgment. And he's over the years hired people to help him with that judgment, but he doesn't listen to them. And so you can't help a guy who won't help himself. David Stern tried. David Stern got him to to hire Donnie Walsh. David Stern tried to get him to hire other people and make moves. Adam Silver has tried. You can't force the guy into making good decisions. You can only help him. He won't accept the help. (laughs)
2: But you have somebody hire advisors to help you and then you don't listen to the advisors that you're, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Didn't, didn't David Stern help the Knicks once where he fixed the lottery so they could get Patrick Ewing. I mean, that's what we need to do. And no, I'm joking. I'm joking. He's up in heaven yelling Let at me right now.
4: Let me tell you something. I don't know what happened back then, but I can tell you last year when the Lakers and Knicks were in the lottery, the same final four to get Ja and Zion and they ended up three and four. And New Orleans and Memphis ended up one and two. All lottery conspiracy theories died that night. I'm going to tell you right now.
2: Yes. And, and I, oh, boy, if you ever wanted to get Commissioner Stern going, whew, do not bring up that lottery was fixed with Patrick Ewing. That was go time for him. Uh, hey, Brian, uh, good luck with everything. Uh, great job. We appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Have a good day. That's Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior NBA writer. He didn't paint a real positive picture there, but he he painted a realistic picture. And that's what we need to hear. You need to hear a realistic picture because there will be some potholes here. There are going to be some speed bumps. There will be roadblocks here. There are going to be issues. This is not going to be smooth for any of these sports. And you could have a star player. Imagine a star player. Now, you might say, well, they're quarantined, so who are they going to come in contact with? Hopefully nobody. Hopefully everybody gets tested, and then if somebody tests positive, they get quarantined, and then everybody stays on campus and nothing happens. But imagine if a team wins a series because a player tested positive or a couple of players tested positive or a forfeit. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but this is crazy. If I would have told you back in March, get ready, you would have said. I have a, a friend who works for the FBI, and he's the one that told me, hey, things might get back to normal in June. And he works in New York City. He said, we're preparing for the worst. Subway shut down. Like he, he told me all of these things. Hospitals overrun. Things that he told me happened. And he said, we hope to get back to normal in June. Paulie just sent me this picture of the Joker with uh, uh, Djokovic. Oh, my God. This is one week ago, and they're hugging each other. <laughs> oh, boy. And Djokovic just tested positive for the coronavirus. All right, we'll take a break here. Uh, that was good. good appearance by Brian Windhorse. A lot of information there. But yeah, I would not be hiring Jason Kidd if I thought I was going to, if it's based off getting the Greek freak. I would hire Jason Kidd because maybe he'll have a style and he's going to get some free agents. If you don't get free agents, it, then it, this is futile. They don't get any free agents, nobody wants to go there. But if I get a coach who has a style that's fun, that is exciting, then maybe that's different. But right now, hiring Jason Kidd because you think you're going to get the Greek freak? like Doesn't that sound just like the Knicks? Hey, why'd you hire him? Well, at the time, we thought we were getting the Greek freak. Mm, Okay, yeah, that didn't go well. Yeah. Yeah. But we tried. Yeah, Paul.
3: You go back a couple years ago when they brought in David Fisdale after he was bounced from Memphis. Everyone lauded the Knicks, saying, "Hey, this is the right guy. He's a players' coach. This is the way to get free agents there." Good point. But the problem was, uh, Dolan was still there. They couldn't overcome their owner.
2: When Durant says it's not the Knicks aren't cool, and and you're you're not relevant with these players. You know that's the sad part of this. We'll take a break back after this in The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at youtube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. This episode brought to you by 20th
1: Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes.
0: All in one app with one password. Prime Video. It's all your favorite sports in one place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.
2: All righty. We have, it's not controversy, but it could be. We had the big match between uh, Mario and Tyler, the moderator. And a shower of shame. That was last Friday. Mario lost. They played nine holes and uh, there was a moment where Mario w- was in the fescue and he took a couple of swings, but he missed the ball. But he said he was practicing. And I think once you address the ball, hello ball, and you swing, that's a stroke. But Paulie, going back and looking at the tape wanted wanted to know if that was true. Mario lost by, I think, three strokes. Now, he's saying that it shouldn't count. I don't know if it did count. I just, I just know he was in there and the fescue was up to his knees and he whiffed a couple of times. Yes, Paulie?
3: I checked with a couple golf people and a few golf websites, and mm. they said once you uh, are done practice swinging and address the ball, and it's a judgment call and you appear to be swinging to hit the ball, if you whiff, that counts as a stroke. If the ball falls off the tee, then that's a different story. But if you address the ball and you just don't make contact with it, that's a stroke.
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, it was uh, there was no controversy. In fact, I think Mario didn't count some strokes. He should have lost by more than that. But then Mario pointed out that Tyler, the moderator, whiffed on one of his swings as well. It was ugly. And, and I know that uh, Tyler and Seton... Uh, Dylan, who does graphics, and uh, Mario are gonna maybe go play tomorrow. And then they said, "Do you want to go?" And I go, "Good God, no, no, I couldn't witness that again." Yeah, and, and I'm not busy. I don't have anything going on. I, I just, I can't watch that again. Like I want to golf with golfers, not these guys. Wow. But I, I thought it was a stroke of genius, pun intended, on my part to put. Tyler, the moderator, and Mario in the cart together. And there was some real tension there. They've, it got bad. So Mario is in the middle of a par, th- par five. And we had talked about maybe do we cap the score to double bogey. And I thought, no, it would be more entertaining if they put up like, you know, a, a snowman or, you know, maybe double digits. Like that would be good. And it would keep everybody, you know, in the mix there of trying to win. And uh, that's what happened. So Mario is on a par five. I think he's lying nine in the fairway. And he says, uh, are, we, are we capping our scores? And I go, well, the answer is no. And you can't ask me in the middle of a hole. Then you have a nine already. And then he put up a 12. When he put up a Brady, I went, wow, this is good. Because if he would have had a seven, then that's different. Because he put up a 12 and I think a 10. Yeah, Paulie.
3: I've never seen worse golf etiquette on a golf course, by the way. People were parking their carts in front of the path of a person while I was getting ready to chip. People were walking over each other's lines. People were not (laughs) away, and they were hitting.
2: Tyler picked up his ball because he thought it was a gimme. Yeah, it was like like three (laughs) feet away. And then Mario did it, and Tyler goes, no, 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 no. And he said, wait, you did it on a previous hole. And then Tyler goes, hey. uh, And I said, "Well, you you can't do that. If there's a rematch, I would like to hire
3: a rules official.
2: Oh, that rules official would quit.
3: Oh, but he would, I think that person would enjoy themselves. Yeah.
2: Uh, Bubba Wallace will join us on the program tomorrow at uh, first hour, 925. Yes, Seton O'Connor. Why are you not allowed to ground your club in the bunker before you hit? To give you an advantage, I guess like you normally have the the club grounded when you're going to hit a shot from the fairway and it, i think it's a comfort level there's uh, I, I don't it doesn't bother me when i get in the bunker you know when you're in the bunker a lot i become a really good bunker player just because i'm in the bunker people get in there and they don't like you it's uncomfortable for you but i think just because it, you ground it you can put the club right behind the ball and it feels like you're going to hit it but I, I think that that's the answer. Yeah, Paulie.
3: There really isn't a why. They just say it's a rule. I looked it up a couple <laughs> places. They really do. They said it's a hazard, the the bunker. Yeah. So you can't ground your club to test the condition of said hazard.
2: Said hazard. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Who right? Like North who with. talks? I know. <laughs> Where to thou? Here to four. Yes, McLevin. Yeah, I,
5: I'm so bad at all this. They asked me to play. Dan. The uh, They did? The, yeah, Tyler and Mario. Like, why don't you come out with us? Can you imagine if he's getting a 12, what would I get on a
2: course uh, like that? With oh, fescue? I'd have to cap your score. Yeah, I'd have to cap your score. But there was a moment where both of these knuckleheads are in the fescue and they didn't even know what fescue was. And maybe it's not even fescue. I just love saying it. But they spent so much time in the fescue. And then they're both swinging and whiffing. And I'd laughed. I, I blurted out, you know, some kind of laughter. But I don't want to see that ever again number. Darius Rucker will join us. More of your phone calls coming up as well. Two hours in the books, one more to go.
8: Terms and conditions apply. Being
0: a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
5: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust